mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Meet to 1 Peter 4. We're going to be beginning in verse 12 by way of introduction or memory, we are really looking at, I believe, sanctification. Peter, in his um, elder years, is reflecting back as he writes a letter to the church, and he continues to come back to the subject of suffering, comes back to the subject of suffering often. Listen, We are going through life. If you've been born, there's going to be suffering. There's going to be things that happen in life. The question is, is how are you using it? What's it for? Why do we go through the things that we do? You cannot read the Bible, and I would encourage you, listen to me, read your Bible daily. You cannot read the Bible without seeing suffering everywhere, every book, every place. Because sin entered the world, now death happens, now pain happens, now suffering is happening. It's just part of life. And again, there's three kinds of Christians. Those entering a trial, those in the middle of a trial, and those coming out of a trial. You're like, oh my goodness, that's real. That's right there. Preach that at your next revival. We'll get a whole bunch of people saved. Listen, there's always trials going on. There's always suffering going on in your life in some way. There's always death to self going on. Because we are becoming acquainted with and fellowshipping with Christ's suffering. That's part of what a Christian does. And so our body has to be dying and suffering and going through so that the spirit can grow. Because we're spirits in a body not bodies with a spirit. We have to remember this is a spirit life. So things happen and God has a purpose for them and he allows us to go through them so that if we look in the right place, fix our eyes upon heaven, fix our eyes upon an eternal spiritual purpose, then we grow as Christians in our spirit through suffering. But we don't just grow, we become these witnesses as we go through the trial, as we go through the suffering, that other people watch and they see it and they say, they're not going through this the way I go through it. They're not, they're not dealing with this the same way because trials and suffering and pain and life, if you look to the right place, to God, it grows your faith. It grows your trust in Him. Everything is for the character building of the saint. Everything is for you to be conformed into the image of God. So Peter, 
after dealing with it's, it's kind of like he goes back and forth. I mean, he talked about it. Christ's suffering for us in the flesh. Arm yourself uh, of this same mind that you're going to suffer because Christ suffered for us. And then he switches and he says also, um, talks about our spiritual gifting. And we talked about this last week. If you begin to grow, then you need to go to the throne room, talk about your gifts with God. What am I supposed to be doing? What am, and, and then as you begin to do that, more suffering is going to happen, just naturally. Now, we don't always call it suffering. The word can be translated vex. You know, the righteous soul of Lot was vexed when he lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. So it's a vexing thing that I'm saying no to what everybody else is doing and yes to what God is doing. Because I know that if I deny my flesh today, it's going to strengthen my spirit I think God gave me one proverb years ago, is our struggles today will be our strengths for tomorrow. Listen to me, because whatever you're struggling with today, whatever is going on, if you go to the throne room and ask him for wisdom, and you do what he says, no matter how much it hurts, no matter how much pain is involved, no matter how much denying to yourself, it'll be your strength for tomorrow. It's going to strengthen you in the character of Christ. It's going to strengthen you by the work of the Spirit in your spirit because you are obeying God. No matter what anybody else says, obey God. Ask Him for wisdom. And everything that we do, we are to do with the, with the ability which God supplies. And that's what He closed with when we when we um, looked at our last lesson, it's 11b, or actually, let's just look at verse 411. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the word of God, the utterance of God, the uh, oracles of God. If anyone ministers, and we're supposed to be speaking and ministering. Listen, listen, all of us have a purpose. Every part of your body has a purpose. Every part of God's body has a purpose, has giftings. Minister, let him do it as with the ability, the power, the strength, the might, the deutimus, which God supplies. He furnishes you with that as you begin to walk forward in obedience, as you go through life, and we're all going through life. Everybody going through life here? Everybody going through life? Let's see a show of hands. Everybody going through life? Calculator. Some people ain't going through life. They're kind of standing still, going through the same thing. You ever see those Christians? I had a friend once, he said he quit, he quit jobs and jobs and jobs, and he had like seven different jobs, and, and, and he didn't realize, he kept saying it was all the boss's fault. It was everybody else's fault. Everybody else's fault. And I said, dude, every time you show up, you're there. It's, it's, not, it's not them that God's working on. He's working on you. I'm just going to quit that job. I'm just going to go to another job. That one's a, Listen, it doesn't matter where you're working at. Is you allowing God to work on you? See, that's the point here, but it, it was everybody else's fault. Christian bosses, I don't ever want a Christian boss again because they're the worst bosses. I'm like, no, dude, you're trying to take advantage of them. You need to surrender and know that God's working on you and just surrender and be a minister and lay your life down where you're at and let them see you be faithful with the ability to which God supplies to you, that in all things... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. And amen. And that's how he closed with that doxology last week. And then verse 12, 412 of 
1 Peter, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter." For the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Let's pray. Father, um, down the corridors of time, Peter's words are somewhat hard to understand. We pray that you would shut down our physical ears and eyes, and you would open the eyes of our heart, open the ears of our soul, and help us to hear what you would say to the church, that we would not be those that would run from ourselves or run from you, but that we would surrender to your mighty work in us, and commit ourselves to you, our faithful creator. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Beloved, um, an endearing term to children. Dearly beloved, worthy of love, Peter writes, do not think it strange. He used this word before, strange. Um, I don't even remember where it was. Verse 4, 4, in regard to these, they think it's strange. He used this word. Um, It's actually a word that's interesting. If it's in natural senses, it's actually having hospitality or being a host. It's something that's not foreign, you know, in natural things. But he's saying and using it here, do not think it's strange because it's foreign. this This is not something that's foreign to Christians. This is not something that's uh, only happening to me. Listen to me. Do not think it's strange, or through, oh, excuse me. Do not uh, think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange things happened to you. I'm not going to go to verse 13 yet because I don't want you to be thinking about rejoicing yet. Listen to me. Because this is our mindset. Oh, woe is me. This happens only to me. It don't happen to other Christians. It don't happen to other people. You ever get that little myopic thought? You know, where you, something happens, you have a flat tire, and you say, why always me? Something's going on in your life, and you're like, it's only me. No, no, that's because your selfish eyes are only on you. But it's always been going on in the Bible. Everywhere you look, from Genesis to Revelation, the people of God have went through fiery trials. They've went through things in their life. And you know what? They're still just like the same human nature as you and me. They say, oh, woe is me. The one I think of the most is Jacob. 
One of the patriarchs, Jacob, supplanter, deceiver, had his name changed to Israel, one governed by God. What happened to him? He takes his, his son, Joseph, and makes him head over the other sons. Right? Remember that? And then Joseph has these dreams. And then, then, then Joseph goes to visit his brother over in Dothan. And what do they do? They said, here comes that, that one that dreamer of dreams. He says, let's, let's kill him. Let's kill him. And his brother J Judah says, no, let's don't kill him. Let's just throw him down in a pit. Listen to him. But my whole point when you get to this, and you guys know that if you've been reading your Bible, you know the text. And then he ends up in another house. He gets sold down to Potiphar's house, and he's a slave. And you know what he continues to do? Go read it. He continues to serve God. He continues to give his life fully to God, no matter what's going on, as a slave. And then Potiphar's wife, uh, uh, Joseph, has control of everything in the house. And Potiphar's wife tries to throw herself at him, and he runs out of the house, leaving his outer garment in her hand. And so she says, so that she's not embarrassed, he tried to lay with me. He tried and lies upon him. And what happens? He gets thrown into prison. Now he's in prison, and you would think, now, I'm, I'm going to be bitter. I'm going to be mean. I'm going to be nasty. No, he's in there serving everybody while he's in prison. And, while he's in, and as he's serving them, they make him head. And so, anyway, I, I got out of control here with this text, but it's an amazing story of Christ. I want you to look back at Jacob. They bring his coat. They cover it in blood, Joseph's coat. And they said, Dad, is this, is this, is this your son's coat? And he's like, yes, surely some animal has torn him, and this has befallen upon me. And you know what he does? He backslides from that point on. Listen, you go read the text. He quits serving God. He says, all things are against me. This is Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're serving the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he throws a fit because he thinks his son, whom he loves so much, is dead. few years down the line, some say 12, it's hard to follow the number line, he's made head of all of Egypt because he interprets this dream. Now, I was going to give you the whole narrative, but I'm going to waste all my time on this sermon. If I do that, go read it. He interprets Pharaoh's dream. He's pulled up out of prison. He's made head of the entire uh, uh, second in command, nobody ahead of him except for Pharaoh. And he's got this signet ring, and there's going to be seven years of plenty, and then seven years of famine. And so he begins to collect, and he buys everything. Everything now becomes, and all the storehouses are full, and what happens? There's a famine in the land. Listen to me, there's a famine in the land today. Every time you hear the word famine, your mind should say there's a famine for the word of God. Listen, because that's the famine. The only thing that's going to help you in life is the Word of God. The only thing that's going to help you in suffering is the Word of God. The only thing that's going to help you out of this world alive is the Word of God. It's all in the instruction book. So here's, here, here's Joseph now sitting on the throne. They make him up to look like an Egyptian. There's a famine in the land, and Jacob, who is backslidden, still bellyaching, saying, all things are against me, sends his other ten sons, he keeps Benjamin at home, and says, go down to Egypt and get us some food, lest we die. 
This is, this is his whole countenance. I'm going to die because God's not for him because he lost his son. They go down. They end up coming back with all this food. But one of their brothers had to be left there. And they say, because Joseph questions them and says, Tell me, is your little brother still alive? How's your dad? And, and, and he's doing it through an interpreter like he can't speak, you know, to them. But he knows. He sees his brothers. He recognizes them instantly. And they go back and they're, Woohoo, it's cool. We're eating. But then those supplies are running out. And what happens? Jacob says, go down again and get us some more. He said, uh-uh. Man said, we shall not see his face. Shall not see his face. Unless our little brother Benjamin is with us. Again, Jacob says, all things are against me. If I lose him, my life will go down to the grave. And see, listen, when life happens, listen, all things are not against you. If God be for you, who could be against you? But Christians walk around in the flesh, not in the spirit. They walk around living their life like everybody around them, forgetting that God's on the throne, that God already gave us his son, his most prized possession. How will he not give us everything else for life and godliness? And that includes trials. It includes suffering. See, we're good if we got a few Benjamins in our pockets and we can squeeze them and the car's running fine and life is good and I got some groceries on the table and they're talking to me and they're not mad at me right now and we're fine. God is good. I'm a Christian. But let the car run out of gas or the tire go flat or some pain in your elbow and you're like, man, God must be against me. All things are against me. Life is terrible. No, 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 no. God is still good. His character doesn't change because you're belly aching. But he allows those things to go on in your life so that you'll cry out to him. Everything in life is to cry out to God. Because what is he doing? He's redeeming us. He's bringing us back. He looks for ways to bring his banished ones back into his house because he loves us and he wants to pour his love out upon us. He wants to give us an inheritance, a hope, and a future. But what do we do? Everything's against me. I'm going to go over here and do this for a while and ignore God because he must be, he's not even there. Is he really real? I don't even know what's going on. Listen to me. That's why he says that the, I wanted to teach this kind of like upside down and go to the last verse, verse 19. Commit your, commit your souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. That's what we need to do. No matter whether it's good or bad, turn to God. No matter whether you have Benjamins or you're broke, God is still good. He's still on the throne. He's got you in that place. And listen to me. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Well, that's good, Greg. That's that verse that I use all the time when I want some money. That's good, Greg. That's that verse I use all the time when I want some food. No, 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 that verse means spiritual first. Listen to me. The first thing you need is your spiritual soul to be taken care of, your mind, will, and emotions. Yeah, if you believe in Jesus, your spirit positionally has an inheritance. But now he wants to sanctify your body, soul, and spirit. Not, so your mind, will, and emotions have been damaged by lie, by liars, by the world that's underneath the sway of the wicked one. So now you have to go through some stuff and trust God in it. You guys ever heard of the through principle? You go through the Bible. 
We're going through the Bible. And in the Bible, people that try to escape something, they always have to come back to it. If you're the person that quits every job because everybody on the job is terrible, listen, it's you that needs to go through it. Stop quitting. Stop running. Stop going to somebody else for help and surrender to the God who is faithful. Commit your soul to do good in front of Him. Even when it hurts. That's a fiery trial. Let me tell you what that means real quick because I got way ahead of myself. I get excited with the Word of God. I apologize. Not for, not for the Word of God, for my excitement. Uh, fiery trial is uh, uh, especially smelting. Huh? A calamity as a test. Burning is really what the word means. It's a burning. It's a burning out of the dross that's in your life. What's God trying to do? Burn out your flesh. You know, people say, burnout's bad. No, not if it's burning out your flesh. If you're getting rid of the flesh, and I have no strength in the flesh, I have no wisdom in the flesh, I have nothing in my flesh that's any good, it's all death. And I'm going to crucify it. I'm going to bury it with Christ. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to trust in His power, His strength, His word, His plan. I'm going to commit myself to Him who is faithful to give me His most prized possession to die for me because He knows how to get me across the finish line. What's the finish line? Glorification. See, so just like a smelter will take metals and burn them and, and, and the dross rises to the top and he skims it off. And how does he know when it's finished? When he sticks a fork in it? No. When, it, when he can see his own face in it. And see, God is working on getting the character of Jesus in you and me. So there's going to be suffering, there's going to be trials, there's going to be pain, there's going to be heartache. That's just life. But who do you run to for help? Where do you look when the burning goes on? Because the fiery trial is to try you. To try you. That, that word is temptation 19 times in the Bible to tempt you. It's approving. It's only translated one time as try. And that's right here. But it's a putting to proof by experiment or by experience. And of course he calls it a strange uh, meaning don't think that it's foreign. Don't think that it's alien. Don't think that it's only happening to you because that's what the devil wants you to do. Oh, this happened in my life and nobody cares and it's only happened to me and everybody else is doing great. See, that's one of the dangers of Facebook. When you go on there and look, they're not putting their problems on there. They're not putting their whole life of everything that's falling apart in their life on there. They're making themselves look like their life is perfect. You get on there and look and you go, why is their life perfect? Mine's messed up. Listen, if your life ain't jacked up, there's something wrong with you. And I don't mean that like, man, I'm walking around all jacked up. But we all have the same nature and we're fighting against sin. We're fighting against things that are going on and we want to follow God. So there's a battle going on with your flesh and your spirit. And as we always talk about it, which one's going to win? The one you feed the most. 
And if you feed your spirit lies, you're still feeding your flesh. And if you want to believe a lie, there's a bunch of them out there, or you can get into the Word of God and say, what is going on, Lord? Or anything that happens. That's why he says all things do, excuse me, be anxious. Don't worry about, be anxious for nothing. But in all things do prayer, that's dependency upon God. It means it's an oratory chapel. It means to worship God. In other words, I've got nowhere else to run but to you. You don't pick up the phone. You don't call the doctor. You don't run to your dad. You don't run to anybody except to God first when things are going on. Yes, you get godly counsel. All those things happen after you go to God. He wants to be first. He's your father. He sent his son to die for you. So being anxious for nothing but all things through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, because you've seen what he's done in the past. Always look back to the stone you were hewn from. Always look back to what he's already done. And you can trust him as a faithful creator when you look back and go, wow, look where he's brought me from. Thanksgiving, thank him for what he's already done. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. When suffering's going on, when pain's going on, when things are going on like that, you want to have peace and rest and know that you're serving God. So it's a fiery trial. It's a thing in life. It's there to try you. It's a putting to, it's a putting to proof. It's evidence now. Who am I trusting in? So listen, this is the good part right here. It is sanctifying you. When your body dies, your spirit is going to grow. Just like Christ did. He gave his body so that spirits could be set free. Now we give our body so that our spirit can grow, and then our witness sets others free. But listen, listen, that fiery trial, even if you don't do it right, you don't get kicked out of heaven. Listen, it's not pass or fail. It's only to reveal your heart to you. It's only to reveal where you're at with God. It's only an evidence of your faith. I think it's Deuteronomy uh, 8.2. These 40 years that you wandered in the desert, you know, he said it was to test you and to try you so that you would know your heart, whether you would live by every word of God that proceeds from the mouth of God or if you would trust in yourself. I, I quoted that a little bit wrong, but it's, it's the same thing. Let's just turn there, Deuteronomy 8. I thought I had that memorized. See, every place I turn makes your sermon longer. Or I have to leave something else out. But it's all in here. You can get in there and read it. This is the, ver this is the text where Jesus quotes from. When he's being tempted, when he's being proved in the wilderness after his 40 days of fasting. This is the text that he quotes from. 8-2, and you shall remember. Here's a memorial you need to make. Always remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. Who's leading you in your life right now? Are you being led by the Spirit of God for the glory of God? Are you really a child of God? To humble you, because he gives grace to the humble, and to test you, there it is, there's the test, to know what was in your heart. See, he already knows all the hearts. The heart is exceedingly wicked. Who can know it? God knows it. He tries the heart. Whether you would keep his commandment or not, 
So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, physical appetite, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he goes on to talk about how their provision, their clothes didn't wear out 40 years, their sandals didn't wear out. Here they are traveling around this same mountain, Mount Sinai, for 40 years. It was really 38, but the first two was on the way getting there when they disobeyed him. Listen, everything going on in your life right now is to test you, to try you, to prove you. And when you try to figure it out in the flesh and deal with it in the, in the flesh, instead of using God's wisdom, guess what? You fail. You don't get kicked out of heaven, but you stay going around that mountain. You stay going around that mountain, that same thing. You go, why am I back here again? Why are we doing this again? Why in the world? It's them Christian bosses you keep giving me. It's the job that's there. And you can keep blaming other people. Or you can wake up to your identity in Christ and say, God is trying to get your attention. He wants to talk with you. He wants an oratory chapel with him where you come in prayer and you begin to be dependent upon him. You begin to trust him and look to him and know that man does not live by bread alone, the physical, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Are you listening for his voice? Are you obeying his voice? It's not strange. It's not foreign. All the way through the Bible, Everywhere you look, you see God's people. Think about it. Uh, Peter went through some pretty crazy stuff. What did he do? Oh, he was tested and tried, wasn't he? Oh, my goodness. If everybody else fails you, Lord, I will not fail you. Oh, you need to be humbled a little bit. Test and tried. And Jesus said, Peter, before the rooster crows, Twice you'll deny me three times tonight. But when you have returned, strengthen the brethren. See, don't leave that verse out. God knows where you're at. Wise man falls seven times, but the fool falls by calamity. A fool falls and stays down, but a wise man keeps getting back up, getting back up. Seven is a number of completion. That's what God is doing. He's completing the work. We're worried about our next meal and our next week, and God is trying to get us into eternity. We're worried about our flesh, and God is dying for our spirit. And we say, I don't want to go through any pain. And and, and that's the way your spirit grows. It's when you die to what your flesh wants to do, your physical appetites, and you allow your spirit to grow in the grace and the, and the knowledge of God. You allow your spirit to trust by faith what God is doing. In fact, he says, it's, it's not strange. It's not something that's just foreign. It didn't just happen. It didn't just transpire. It didn't befall you. It's part of the natural plan of life to burn out the flesh to get rid of the dross, to remove anything that you have of your own self still left in you so that you can only walk in the Spirit. Because when we're walking in the Spirit, we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And he says in 13, 1 Peter 4, 13, but rejoice. Don't think it's foreign. Don't think it's not happening. See, this is our problem. Listen to me. Myoptically, it happened to me. Nobody cares. It's going on in my life, but nobody else ever goes through these struggles. 
Listen to me. This is the way the devil wants you to think. Eve, he's only holding out on you. Everybody else knows. He wants to put you in a place where you don't trust God. And when your flesh is on the throne because you, 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 know, you, you swing and you hit the wrong nail with the hammer, your heart comes out. But it's only to test you and try you through the pain. So that you will know what the abundance of the heart, through the abundance of the heart, the mouth speak. What's the abundance? The top, the overflow. It's what's on top of your heart that comes out. And God goes, see, it's still in there. You need to surrender. You need to commit yourself to me. You see, it's still there. See, your flesh is waiting to pounce on you. Remember, ooh, remember uh, Genesis 4? Cain and Abel bringing sacrifices. And God says, why is your countenance falling? Cain, if you do well, you'll be approved. But if not, sin is crouching at your door. See, his heart was being tested. It was being tried. And what does he do? Gets a little jealous, kills his brother. You have the first martyr of the church. Cain, and what, was happen what happened with him? He was cast out. Sent to out, away from all his house to another family. And he said, my, my punishment is too great for me. But you know what he did in his pride? He went and continued living that way. What's going on in your life today? Are you trusting God with the fiery trial? See, all of us are going through them. You're either starting one, you're in the middle of one, or you just come out of one. There's something going on because God is always at work. He's working in you the character and the nature of God. He wants you to become Christ-like. He's conforming you to the image of Christ. But what's your end game? Huh? See, that's what God is doing, the end game. He's glorifying us. He's wanting to get us across the finish line. And again, we're just trying to get to next week. Are you trying to get across the finish line? Then you have to die to your flesh. You're trying to get across the finish line to be glorified. That's what God's doing. Your spirit with him is God's reason for dying on a cross. And he's not satisfied with just doing all the work for you. He wants you to surrender in sanctification and love him because he first loved you. I'm not telling you to earn your salvation at all. I'm telling you if you have salvation, now the enemy is going to attack God is going to keep doing. He's going to give you gifts. He's going to give you talents. He's going to give you abilities. He's calling you to follow him. He's saying, pick up the phone. Do you hear my voice? I know you. I know everything going on. Follow me. Don't worry about that sin. Don't worry about those problems. Just follow me. Just look to try to obey me. Get in the word, prayer, and fellowship. Allow me to sanctify you, spirit, soul, and body. Don't think it's strange when people don't like how you're living. Don't think it's strange when trials happen. It's there on purpose. Do you know what the other side is? Think about it on the other side. Think about the other side when a person rejects the work of God. When a person's on the other side, look at our country. Our country rejected God and its word and kicked it out of all of its institutions. What happened? Nobody's dealing with sin, so the country gets worse and worse and worse. 
it becomes more evil and more evil and more evil till you have people sitting there lying straight to your face and they're acting like they're telling you the truth because their father's the devil. Listen to me, it's the opposite side. Your heart gets proven, it gets hardened. Remember when Pharaoh let the children of Israel go? God had told Moses, uh, tell him just let your children go. But I'm going to confirm his heart. The Bible testifies that Pharaoh hardened his heart, hardened his heart, hardened his heart. And then it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It was too late. And all he did was confirmed his own decision. He confirmed his own place. So if you take the fiery trial and the pains of life and the suffering and you reject the blood of Jesus, your heart becomes hardened on the other side of evil so that God can use you to show his mighty power on the earth. But on this side, we commit our souls to do good to a faithful creator who is faithful. I just surrender. That's what you got to do. I surrender, Lord. I'm going to follow, Lord. I want to hear your voice, Lord. Teach me what it is that I'm supposed to be doing that's good. That's all you can do. Or you can resist him. He gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Why? Because you're resisting him and you bear the fruit that you sow. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. Really? Partake? It's the word koinonia. Koinonia. Let me see. It's not koinonia. It's koinonia. It's related. It means to fellowship. It means to share with others. It means to become a partaker in his sufferings. Well, what happened in his sufferings? Well, he was uh, betrayed, arrested, beaten, spit on, mocked, nailed to a tree, died. Why? For our spirit. That's what we talked about in 4.1. Christ suffered for us in the flesh for the spirit realm. Same thing. So now we're partaking. When we go through the fiery trial, we can rejoice. We can count it joy to the extent that we are participating in his sufferings. We're having fellowship with his sufferings, as Paul said uh, in Philippians 3. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and fellowship with his sufferings. Think about it. I started to talk about Paul earlier. About his sufferings. Peter's sufferings. Everybody in the Bible goes through sufferings. Where are you going to go with your suffering? Are you going to understand it? What's going on? It's not foreign. It's going on everywhere. And that's why he keeps bringing the subject up and up again and up again. Because in sanctification, while we're still here, there's going to be suffering. There's going to be trials. There's going to be pain. Because the body's dying. Because of sin. And I'm not talking about your sin and what you're doing. I'm talking about because of original sin, things begin to die. So rejoice. You can be glad. You can be cheerful. (laughs) It's not talking about laughing when grandma dies. That's not what it's talking about. But you can rejoice in it if she knows Jesus, can't you? 
Certainly we have emotions, but you get to be koinonio. Oh, koinonia is communion with. Koinonio is fellowship or sharing and being a partaker with the sufferings of Christos, his hardship, his pain. That when his glory is revealed at his coming, at his second coming, when you see him face to face, when the cover is taking off, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Listen, it's not about today. Let's actually go to Romans 8 again. Uh, we've been talking about Romans 8. Uh, in Romans 8, you know, I, I get in these, in my brain, I mean, I'm trying to trust the Lord and say, well, where do I start at, Lord? Because when I get to that chapter, then I just go nuts with all the information that's there because it's so good. You know what I mean? And there's so much there that we need to know and keep being reminded of. Um, you know, and so it's the no condemnation chapter, right? Because it starts out with our position. We are no longer condemned because of our sin. But notice it, it's 8.1. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Listen, this is our identity. This is, this is Jesus 101. You have no condemnation, no judgment eternally because of Christ. And he justified us. He made, positionally, we are perfect in character. But he wants to finish that work. And so in order to finish that work, we have to stop living in the flesh, looking at everything according to the flesh. But we have to start looking at it as according to the spirit. And then we'll just jump all the way down. Um, verse 12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. It'll kill you. But if by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body you live. This is how we have life. This is how we have peace and rest and continue. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Listen to me. This is a powerful verse. See, we feared all of our life because of death. We were in bondage to death. We were in bondage to sin. But we received the Spirit of God which sets us free. The truth, the identity, the life that comes through Jesus Christ because he suffered in his body. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. See, that's what the devil uses is fear. But you received the spirit of adoption by whom you cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. See the end game? There's your end game, glorification. The final leg of the race is to cross the finish line and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, is to glorify. Look what he says here in 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And I have to stop. You can read it later. Jump down to 28, 828. And we know, hey, if your eyes are open, we know that all things, suffering, pain, good, bad, indifferent, work together for good 
Listen, we got to commit our souls to doing good to a faithful creator. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Listen, trials, suffering, pain, they all have a purpose. Sanctification, changing you, finishing the race. Look what he says here in 29. For whom he foreknew, that's foreknowledge. God knew that one day you were going to choose him. Believe in the blood, hear his, hear his message of salvation to bring back into his family, and you would believe that. Trust in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. He also predestined. Notice foreknowledge and predestination always have to be together. God did not predestine anybody to go to hell. Every person in hell will know fully for the rest of eternity that they chose to go to hell by rejecting God's word. That's a sad thing. That's enough to make you very unhappy in hell. If there was no fire, no pain, no anything else, just knowing, sitting there, man, I rejected that. It was freely given, and I just said no and rejected it. Now, listen to me, and I'll get to that in a minute. I was talking with one of my, I talk to people all the time. And, uh, he literally would not receive God because of suffering. And I go, you're making my sermon for me. I go, you really don't see that God suffered on the cross more than any person ever has suffered? He went through it first. He became the author and the finisher of our faith. And he went before us to show us how to go through it by faith and trust in God. And he's like, oh, I'm not talking. You got it wrong. I'm not talking about my suffering. I'm talking about other people's suffering. I said, the devil's got your eyes in the wrong place. I said, you know what? You're talking to the guy that's watched his wife suffer. I can start crying thinking about the suffering and the pain that my wife goes through. You know, when we were in the hospital and my wife coded three times with my son holding her hand and watching that suffering. You know, we have people that the devil doesn't want you to, to, to go through suffering glorifying him. We have people that actually were mad at me for sharing Jesus with other people in the hospital. I have people that were actually mad at me for praying with people that were going through worse things than I was. See, I know where my wife was going to go. It would break my heart to lose her. But I had people that were mad at me. They were being used by the devil to try to get me to quit doing what God has put in my heart. See, our character is being changed. And no matter what the fiery trial, no matter what the pain or the suffering, no matter what is going on in life, we continue. The abundance of the heart comes out. No matter what you're going through, you continue to remember that you have been born again into the Spirit of God. You're married with God, and He gives you a calling. And you don't stop that calling because life is happening. It's not strange. It's going on with everybody. But the devil wants to sidetrack you. Listen to me. We don't have to understand to know it's true. If you sit around and live your life trying to understand what's going on, instead of understanding that there's someone who knows it, and he's allowing it, and he wants you to look to him in everything. But so often we go, no, I need to understand it. Well, well stand under it then. That's exactly what you're called to do. Stand under it. Isn't that what understand it means? Stand under it? Let me finish this and we'll go there to James 1. 
For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be what? Conformed. Are you being conformed? Or are you still who you used to be? Conformed to what, Greg? To the image of his son. A suffering servant who laid down his flesh so that spirits could live. A suffering servant that gave his, all his right to anything so that others would see God in the kingdom of God. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified, just as if they never sinned. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. See, God's face, God's countenance, God's person, everything that he's doing is to conform you into the image of his son. And to get you across the finish line. That's the end game. If you stop in your flesh and focus on just that problem. I'm not talking about don't deal with it. It's just not the end of the world. It's the devil trying to be the end of your sanctification. It's the devil trying to get you so sidetracked that you think God's the enemy. Or think that God's dealing with you according to sin. Ooh, there's a big one, isn't it? Think about that with Job. His miserable counselors wanted Job to believe that God was dealing with him because of sin. See, and if your sin has already been dealt with at the cross of Christ, God's not dealing with you because of sin. He's dealing with you because of sanctification. Because he's going to finish the work that he started in you until the day of Christ Jesus. Because he's a faithful creator. And whether you're involved or not, those trials are going to keep coming. And whether you look to him or not, they're going to keep coming. And if you don't look to him and you keep looking the other way, then your heart is going to harden. And God will use you for his mighty power. And your heart will be confirmed in evil instead of in hearing the voice of God and obeying and believing him. I, 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 am, I am adamantly against teaching somebody that if you say a prayer that everything's going to be okay because that's not the kingdom of God if you say a prayer on the first thing here listen to me if you say a prayer the first thing is is that the devil's going to attack you harder things are going to get harder but we tell people oh just say a prayer and everything's going to be good you're going to come out in here and give us all your money and everything's going to be fine we're going to keep building this and you're going to go what happened well, I sold you a false bill of goods. It is harder to live for God than it is to live for yourself. But the eternal rewards is where we got to fix our eyes. Growing your faith is why you need to surrender to God. He has the end game already finished. He's not down here with us watching the game. The game is over. He kicked the football through the goalpost of life at the cross if we want to use such terrible language to talk about it. He hit a grand slam home run in the last inning. All you have to do is surrender to his working power in you and then begin to just meet with him. He is going to glorify you if you let him, if you fight against him. It's only going to hurt more. He's only going to wrench your hip out of socket, and you're going to have to have a hip replacement, just like Jacob did. Okay, go to James. James tells us the same thing. You know who James is, right? Oh, camel knees, Jesus' brother, half-brother. Didn't believe in him until after Jesus was resurrected. 
Then he became the unofficial leader of the church in Jerusalem. They called him Camelnes because he was having that oratory chapel I'm talking about. He was on his knees in the hot sand, and he got calluses on his knees like a camel has, and they called him camel knees. And he's writing to the 12 tribes of the dispersion scattered abroad, and he says in James chapter 1, listen to me, I'm going to go quick here, I'm sorry. He says the same thing here. My brethren, my little born-again ones, Count it all joy. Are we talking about rejoicing in Christ's sufferings? He says, count it all joy. The word count, listen, listen. The word count, one, little, two, little, three. Oh, no. Uh, the word count means to think forward. Oh, when you're going through it, oh, it hurts. When you're in trials, it's painful. When suffering's going on, it's like I can't even think. You know, when I was being railed on in the hospital when my wife was sick, I'm still processing it, believe it or not. When I was being railed on, I was like, mm-mm, mm-mm, speak to the hand. My wife is sick, and I'm about the Lord's business, and I'm praying for my wife. I don't want to hear all these other problems. And see, when you get focused upon God like that, these other things don't bother you. That, that, that's a sidebar. I don't care about CRT, okay? You're a sinner. You're a sinner, I don't care about all these things you want to say are sicknesses and pain and they're causing the problems of society. You're a sinner. You're going to go to hell. You solve all societal problems and everybody's going to live peacefully here on earth and go to hell. If you don't deal with the sin problem. If you don't deal with the God problem. But see, they want to take out God and they want you to join in in their physical battle. And God's telling us that our physical battle is dead. That we don't war according to the flesh, but the weapons of our warfare are mighty in God for the destruction of strongholds. For tearing down fortresses and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That's what we're supposed to be doing. It's like 2 Corinthians 10, 2. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Listen to me. We get caught up in all the other battles and we forget that we're spirits in a body and that we're supposed to be dying to self. Our body's going to go through saints for the saving of the soul. It's nothing compared to what we're going to receive in glory. So he says, count it. Think about it on the other side. This is about eternity. It's not about today. It's not about next week. It's about eternity. So you can count it joy, knowing that God's doing something, when you fall. Uh-oh. That means somebody set a bait trap or something, doesn't it? You've got a hole in the ground, you, you go to travel through my yard. You'll trip over something. I ain't got time to fix it. When you fall into various trials, same word as fiery trials or trying you. And what are we supposed to know? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience hupomene hupomenea now we see we got hupotasso when you believe God you come back into the family of God under the authority of God and you're aligned in military ranking and then you're supposed to begin to surrender to the testing and the trying the trials that are going on so you can produce patience or hupomene that this is the understand this is standing under. It means abiding under it. Let me show you what it means. I got it written down here for you. 
Because this is what you need to walk out your Christian life. So you need pistio, saving faith, but then the next word has a constancy in that faith. And here it is, patience, hupomene. It means a continuance, a constancy, a steadfastness. When you go through things, you continue to know that God is still at work in you to will and to do for His good pleasure. Why? Because all things work for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. What's His purpose? To conform you into the image of His Son. To get you across the finish line. So when you're focused and it happens, you've got to turn your focus back to God and get it off of yourself. Are you allowing the fiery trials the temptations of life, the testing to produce patience. Then he says, okay, bite under it. Listen, but let, verse 4, but let hupomene have its perfect work. Don't just go, I already arrived. I went through enough of them testings. I'm done now. No, 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 no. You got to let it have its perfect work. Be complete. You got to let it go all the way to the day you're glorified that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Any of you guys lack nothing right now? See, this is a thing that goes on until we see him face to face. However, guess what? Everything that he calls you to do today, he's already equipped you for it. So you don't lack anything to go walk this out. You have everything for right now what you need to go do what he's called you to do. Right now. So you're lacking nothing for this moment. There's just some things that are still going on before you enter into eternity with him. You can be a lacking nothing Christian if you just rest in what God is doing and look to Him. Count it all joy. You can have exceeding gladness. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, anybody lack wisdom? You don't have to raise your hand. We all lack wisdom. This is the wisdom of God. This is not the earthly, central, demonic wisdom that they try to give you in textbook because they make up their own things and then they give you science that backs it up, which is false lying science that really changes. And the next year, they write another science book and they change what the science really said because their theory keeps growing because that's the whole definition. If you leave God out, you can keep changing the theory because it's ever fluctuating because they don't believe in real truth and they say that you're a narcissist if you tell them about truth. They say that you, there's no absolute truth in the same voice that they're telling you there's no absolute truth. Well, then I guess I can change your statement then, right? Because it can't be absolutely true if there's no absolute truth, so you must be wrong. That's a pretty simple thought there, isn't it? Then your statement of there is no absolute truth is not absolutely true. Because there is absolute truth. His name is Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if you lack wisdom, I'm running a little short on it most of the time. Let him ask God. That's where all wisdom comes from. He's going to close the thought out with that. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of light where there's no shifting or shadow. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His wisdom doesn't move. His theories are not theories. They're truth. He's not working with hypothesis. He's truth. So there's nothing that shifts. He's immutable. So if you lack wisdom, ask God. That's that oratory chapter. That's prayer. 
and he gives to all liberally and without reproach. In other words, when you ask God, he does exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever hope for or ask. God, I just really need this, and he gives you more than that because he wants to bless his children. And it will be given to him. Now, if we was to stop there, that would be a great thing. But we can't stop there. Listen, if you ask, he'll give it to you. He's not going to say, you idiot, you didn't know that. No, he wants to teach us. He wants us to grow. He wants to show us our heart. He wants trials to burn out the dross. He wants to make us like him. He wants to be in fellowship with us for eternity. Verse 6, but let him ask in faith. Uh Uh-oh, now we got a problem. If you can't show me the science, if you can't show me the dotted line, you got to ask trusting God. With no doubting. Uh-oh, I'm a doubter. I'm doubting Thomas. I doubt everything. Listen, keep stay, stay in mind here. Stay in mind here. Don't, don't freak out. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Those waves can be crazy. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Now, let me give you the whole thought. Let me give you the whole thought doubting you haven't committed you haven't surrendered you don't believe that God is truth if you doubt this is not like well I don't know if God's going to help me doubting you become double-minded now here's what it is I'm not ready to surrender to you see double-minded is not uh, I have two different things I'm thinking about double-minded is this God's word says thou shall not and you go huh I don't like God's word right now I think I will That's double-minded. No commitment to God. No, I'm going to obey you, God. God said, you pray and you say, God, my truck ain't running right. What do I do? And he says, "Um, take it to the mechanic. And you say, nope, don't like that idea. I ain't got the money for it. Can't do that. Now you just became double-minded. Are you listening to me? Probably a terrible analogy but anytime you have difficulty in life and you want the wisdom of God and you get in his word and you read it and then you say nope ain't going to obey that that's double-mindedness this is not I can't make a decision if you commit your soul to him who is faithful whatever he says is always true I'm going to go to the world and ask their counselors really That's like a wave of the sea tossed to and fro. You believe, you actually say that you have faith in God and He's the creator and that He's truth and He knows all things, but when He tells you what truth is, you say no? That's having double spirit. You want to be married to the world and you want to be married to God. You can't have both. Either He's God or He's not God. You'll love the one and hate the other. Double-mindedness. You're unstable in all of your ways. Therefore, when things happen, when storms come, when fiery trials come, you don't know where to turn, so you just spin out of control. And your whole life is like at a complete standstill because you're unstable. You can't even trust the world long enough to go to them. You can't trust God to go to them, so you're unstable. I don't even know what to do. I can't make a decision. Because you're trying to serve two masters. Instead of just committing. And then he says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but let the rich in his humiliation. 
Because of the flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner is the sun risen in burning uh, heat that it withers in the grass, and the flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away with his pursuits. And really what he's saying is, no matter what happens in life, whether you are uh, flattered by somebody or humiliated by somebody, whether somebody speaks good of you or bad of you, you're only going to be here for a little bit. You're the flower of the field. You're going to die. Commit yourself to God. Ask him and trust him. Because see, some people, they stumble because they're flattered. You know, flattery is just as bad as uh, gossip. You know, gossip is something you say about somebody behind their back you won't say to their face. But flattery is something you'll say to their face that you won't say behind their back. You know, I always tell my wife, man, this is good. This is great. And, and, and the kids will say, flattery, flattery. I'm like, no, I say it all the time. Behind, my wife cooks good. And if I lose her, I can't survive on popcorn, you know, because I'm not flattering her. Her food is good. I'll say it behind the back. And see, truth, listen to me, nothing wrong with truth in righteousness. When you share truth with people, you're loving them. But I'm... Might as well be flattering them and lying to them if I say nothing about their sin. If I say nothing about their condition in life and I walk by them, I might as well be flattering them. Go, you're okay. No, it's fine. You're good. Peace and be warm and be fed. And they're going headlong into hell. And I'm flattering them saying they're okay. When I've been called as an ambassador to tell them the truth, that you're in trouble at the heart of your Christian walk. You're in trouble in your life. You need Jesus. So either one can happen. Some people are uh, uh, destroyed when the trial comes and it's flattery. Some people are destroyed when the trial comes and it's humiliation. Uh, It's really according to where you're at. God knows. Blessed, verse 12, James 1, 12. Uh, blessed, extremely blessed, some of your texts might say happy, but it's supremely blessed, is the man who endures temptation, endures the trial. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let not, now we're going to get into another point. I'm just going to read it quickly. Let not the one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot, because it's a different word for tempt, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Uh, Desires or lust there is a longing, especially for what is forbidden, Um, and enticed is beguiled or alluded. It means to entrap. This is what the devil does, uh, but he uses your own nature. So if your fleshly nature is not dying and your desires aren't changing, the devil knows that he can always use the same trap stick and trip you up and put a hole in front of you, and you fall right in it every single time. So you want to allow God's suffering to have its perfect way and learn to be dependent upon God. So he shows you where that temptation's at. And he changes your desires and you're not enticed. Let's look at it this way. I, I, I sometimes need money. Do you guys need money? I drive by banks every day and I have no desire to rob one. None. None whatsoever. Doesn't even enter my mind. Man, I'm going to rob that bank. You know, they asked Dillinger, why do you rob banks for? He said, for to keep all the money. I mean, really, it's a logical thing to do if you need money. But you know what? 
I can drive by a Dairy Queen every day and I think, man, I ought to go get me one of those milkshakes. Because that's what I want. I want a milkshake. And now you can take it and put it on anything that you want, but if you don't let God change your physical appetites through the things going on in life, it becomes something that the devil can use to trip you up every single time. But God doesn't use anything that's evil to tempt you. He can't even be tempted with evil. Uh, but your, your desires, and then you're enticed, and then when desire has conceived, it gives birth. You've been tripped. You've been enticed. You're involved. It gives birth to sin. Sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived. Do not be caused to roam from safety or from truth. From Jesus, my beloved brethren, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with which there is no variation or shadow of turning of his own will because of his own love, his own will, because of his mercy and grace, he brought us forth by the word of truth. He spoke it that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And I have to stop because we got to get back to our text. Okay? Listen. Here's the main thing there. That temptation there that you're enticed by because of desires is the broad sea it's the huge sea it could happen any place if you look it up that's what it's going to tell you the deep ocean it's everything that you can be tempted by it's not by God see it's a different temptation but the fiery trials produces patience and hoopamony and understanding in you which changes your desires it changes how you think so that you can resist the big temptation when it comes because you're already committed yourself to doing the work of God you can resist it it prepares you for it so that you're not deceived by the devil. Is it, is it, does it prepare you perfectly? Yes. It does. If you keep asking God. If you keep trusting God. If you keep about God's business. So he goes back in our text 414. If you are reproached. Defamed. Railed upon. Suffer reproach. For the name of Christ. What's the name? It's his character, it's his nature, it's his will, it's his authority. You're living for Christ. And if that fiery trial comes because you're living for Christ, you're involved in the sanctification process, you're saying, Lord, every bit of this is coming because I know you're sovereign and on the throne and you're conforming me into the image of your son, Jesus. And so the reproach comes because you're living for Christ. Blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. In other words, you're being led. This is what you're supposed to be happening. This is what's supposed to be going on this is good it's resting upon you on their part he is blasphemed they blaspheme God because they're just talking and reviling you for what's going on but on your part he is glorified because you're glorifying God by your very actions you're glorifying God because you're abiding under the fiery trial you're not freaked out by it you're going through it with him as your wisdom with him as your strength with him as he sanctifies and purifies you for his glory. And then he says, but. And it's a big but too. I know I shouldn't do that, but I like doing that. Let none of you suffer as a murderer. Word for homicide. Listen. See, there's a difference. See, God doesn't tempt us to suffer with murder. God doesn't tell us to go kill people outside of an abortion clinic to do good. <laughs> 
God allows us to suffer through fiery trials in doing good, but not in doing bad. He's not going to tempt us to do any type of evil. He's telling us not to do evil, that his spirit doesn't want us doing evil, that we're not supposed to live as murderers, one who would commit homicide. And this has a distinct difference from protecting yourself. It's distinctly different. In fact, It means criminal intentional homicide. As a thief, that's a stealer. Isn't that a funny definition? A thief is a stealer. As an evildoer, that's a bad doer. I love the way the Greek defines stuff. Don't be a bad doer, especially a criminal. In other words, you're just breaking the law. And then look at this one here. Oh, my goodness. Or as a busybody in other people's matters. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Think about this listing. Murderer, thief. Evildoer. Yeah, then people need to get saved. Then people are bad. Busybody. In other words, not about the Lord's business. Not doing what you're supposed to be doing. See, because if you're being led by the Spirit, you're not going to be involved in other matters that have nothing to do with your private sanctification. But listen, everything that you are busybody about, everything that you are doing, you're affecting the rest of the body of Christ. You're affecting the witness of Christ. You're affecting how people see Christ. Busybody. It means trying to oversee other people's affairs without their counseling. Without them asking. Without them caring. Notice how he puts that little tiny thing that you think it's okay to talk about or be about right there with murderers. If you're not doing God's will, if you're not looking to be led by his spirit, if you're not involved in his process of, uh, of not just salvation but sanctification, looking to glorify you, then you might be a busybody involved in the wrong things. And we're not supposed to be suffering this way, because if you do that, you might bear it on your own. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Now, you know a Christian, they first called them Christians in Antioch, and it was really a derogatory statement. They were trying to entice them to anger by going, look at you, Christian, you act just like that Jesus guy. You're acting Christ-like. And they were trying to make fun of them. And they actually liked it so much, the Christians, those of the way, that they began to take that and go, we're Christians. Yeah, why? Because that's what God's doing in the spirit realm. He's making us like his son, dead to our body, crucified with Christ, alive in the spirit, resurrected in new life. So yes, we're like Christ, because that's the whole purpose of salvation, to be a child in God's family that comes back in and learns to obey him. That's why he gave us that free position by belief and then he asked us to learn to do it in our own mind, will, and emotions until the day that he takes us home and we're exactly like him. So it's not a bad thing to be called that. For the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? See the inference there that the house of God is supposed to obey God? What will be the end of those who don't? See, those outside the house don't obey God. That's not their father. That's not their way. 
And judgment here, listen, judgment here is crema. So you can go, crema. It's not crino. Crino is eternal, judicial. Crema is a decision on your condition right now, your character, what's going on in sanctification. So in other words, you need to make some crema, make some decisions. God wants to allow that to happen through the fiery trial. And then you choose his wisdom in his way so that you can become conformed to the image of Christ. This is not the eternal. See, that's already dealt with at the cross, remember? Remember? Your crino, mental, judicial, eternal, it's dealt with, Christ paid for it. But now we have some decisions to make. Do I act like the world? Do I do exactly what they're doing? I said a prayer, so I'm okay. I get to live any way I want. No, there's some decisions here. God's children don't do that. God's children shouldn't be there. God's children shouldn't go there. God's children are supposed to be over here in His house doing His work for His glory. And if you get reproached for it, count it joy. If you get in trouble for it, count it joy because then you know the Spirit of God rests upon you and you're involved in His work. And then there will be some putting to proof there that shows that there's evidence to prove that the Spirit of God is leading you. That was a mouthful. But that's what happens in a courtroom. And we're all going to stand in a courtroom one day. And evidence is going to be presented. Books are going to be opened. Verse 18, if the righteous is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? What? Righteous is scarcely saved. Listen, I look back on my life. I don't know about you. Look back on your life. And I think, my goodness, I don't deserve salvation. This is where amazing grace comes in. And, and, and many are called, but few are chosen. And wide is the gate to destruction and narrow the way to salvation. And this is work. I'm fully positionally saved, but, but I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling. And Paul tells us to test ourselves to see if we're even in the faith. This is not something you do after you get your heart stops beating. You need to test yourself today and say, am I actually in the faith? Not did somebody say you went to church this week. Not did somebody say, did you believe in Jesus? The demons believe and they tremble. He says, the, look, look what he says. What's going to happen to the ungodly and the sinner? Really? I thought that was the same thing. What if the ungodly is those who are without God and the sinner is those who think they have God or are in the body of Christ and they're still practicing sin because they're ignoring the rest of salvation? I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. I don't know why he used two words. That's for you to search out. That's for you to examine. You say, hey, wait a minute. This is my relationship. I'm the one that's going to be there. I do know that all of us are going to stand before the throne room of God. One day, every knee will bow. And then there's going to be the Bema seat judgment for Christians, which we will be judged for everything we've done since we believed in Jesus. Whether we've allowed him to sanctify us, whether we entered into his work, whether we were ashamed of him. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of God, for it is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and then for the Greek. But so many people, only their hairdresser knows. We call them Clairol Christians. They never speak up. That's old. You guys don't even know what I'm talking about. 
So, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, wherefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God. Do you know the will of God is a written document? Like your last will and testament? Did you know that it's a courtroom, that there's a will, there's actually a written document? of what he wants to happen and actually in it that in order for a will and testament to become active that somebody has to die so Jesus came God came and died so that his will could be enacted upon the planet and then the Holy Spirit becomes the 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 executor of the estate and he begins to hand out to those who are obeying the will he hands out gifts and talents and abilities he hands out the truth of the word of God he hands out the inheritance for you to enjoy down here so you don't have to worry about it And then you understand that your body's dead, but your spirit is alive now. It's no longer separated from God. It's a document. It's a written document. So, those who suffer according to the will of God should commit, place alongside, present, Paul puts it this way in Romans, I beseech you therefore, brethren, Because of the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That encapsulates this entire text that we've looked at today. We're alive, yet reckoning ourselves dead. The problem with living sacrifices, they get up and walk away. When they're supposed to be laying there before God saying, I surrender, I commit myself, use me. I know I'm holy and righteous because you're holy and righteous. But he warns us not to be conformed to this world and do what it's doing, but be metamorphosed, transformed. Why? So we can become that evidence. The fiery trial will be the evidence, will be the, the exhibit A For Christ, that he died and rose again. We're supposed to commit our souls, our mind, will, and emotion to him in doing good. None good but God, just doing what he wants us to do as to a faithful creator. He's faithful. He knows what he's doing. In fact, he's so faithful that even if we're faithless, he's faithful. He will not deny himself. His plan is going on whether you are involved or not. He's doing what he's doing, whether you want to be involved or not. We have a privilege to be involved. When I look back on my life and I say, my goodness, scarcely saved, I still wonder whether I'm saved sometimes. Oh yeah, the devil tries to get you to do that. The devil always wants you to think that it's because of your work and what you did yesterday and what you do tomorrow. But we're saved by the blood, by faith, through grace. It's not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And you rest in it and surrender to it and commit yourself, your spirit, right alongside the Spirit of God. They become married as one. And meanwhile, you're going to fight with your flesh. You're going to fight to be transformed. It's difficult. It's not easy. But are you even fighting? What's your end game? Are you even trying? Are you even in the game? Test yourself and see. 
Try yourself and see. Say, wait a minute. Do I have a desire for God's word? Do I have a desire to see souls saved? Am I laying down my selfish pride and entering into the work of God for the glory of God for such a time as this? Or do I just, when things happen, just go, me, 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 I, I, I. See, because that's what the devil did. He eased God out. That's what the word for I is in the Greek, ego. Ease God out. And it's all about me. It's all about my wisdom, my plan, my life, my desires. And it's the oldest plan he has. Because the devil doesn't have any new plans. He keeps using the same plan as a trip, a trip stick, a trap stick, bait stick to entice you to fall right back into it again. Instead of committing your soul to do good to a faithful creator, the one who spoke and created the heavens and the earth, the one who spoke and laid out the plan of salvation, the one who loved and wants you to be with him for eternity. It's okay to surrender. It's okay to trust him. It's okay to be mocked for trusting him. It's okay not to be like the world. Because the church just loves to follow what the world is doing. And then just call it Christian. It's a Christian book. It's a Christian music. It's Christian. That No, there's a Christian coffee house. We just make everything Christian. You know what? That's a lie from the pit of hell. A Christian is Christ-like. And that's intrinsically and in character. It can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. As he burns out the flesh. That's, that's something that's saved for a soul. For a spirit. It's not anything to do with a book or music. And you may think I'm splitting hairs. But be careful. Just because they call it Christian. Doesn't mean it is. Many who say they know Christ. He's going to say be away from me. I never knew you. And that book doesn't know Christ. That coffee house doesn't know Christ. Those things we call Christian do not have a personal love relationship with Christ. But your spirit can. And he's a faithful creator. Surrender to him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I